Today's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by True Car. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. That's why True Car has come out with True Price. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car that you want, including the fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for the same car that you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy that new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we are just getting started on our Game of Thrones rewatch for Season 2, Episode 8, The Prince of Winterfell. And now, here are the two guys who hopefully will paint a smile on your face today. Maybe not in red. I am Rob Sister here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I'm doing okay. <laughs> um, I'm doing all right. I have to say, Rob... Uh, I didn't think that gold cloaks were part of the deal, and yet here we are wearing these ridiculous capes right now. This yeah. is, uh, it's not even a visual podcast, a video podcast. This feels unnecessary. Yeah, but I do feel a little more stately. Yes. Uh, well, my, uh, my hands are clean. Me hands are clean. So I am, uh, I am ready to cover the Prince of Winterfell. Oh my gosh. A riveting episode of Game of Thrones. Yes, okay. And this is uh, episode number eight. Only two hours left to go. You feel like we're building towards something here in season two. And so uh, we'll talk about that. And then we'll get into everything from the spoilers coming up in just a little bit, of course, that our Game of Thrones weekly rewatch, our Westeros weekly rewatch drops every Wednesday. You can subscribe at postshowrecaps.com slash GOT iTunes. So, Josh, this episode begins and ends, bookends uh, with the Theon Winterfell storyline once again. And I mentioned after the spoiler section, I feel like we didn't do a great job of hyping up uh, the teaser that maybe this was going to be Bran and Rickon dead. Spoiler alert, it's not them. Yeah, they're alive. They're okay. Yeah, we did a terrible job with that. I mean, the show's cliffhanger in that episode, in the episode before this one, is it certainly seems like Bran and Rickon have just been murdered. And if that's the case, that is like by far and away the biggest thing to have happened on the show since the death of Ned Stark. And uh, we just kind of completely yeah. yada yada or yara yara past that. Uh, but in our defense, like the show really, like what? We're really buying this? Like, we're not, not going to sell the fake out look it, you know. it was like you know if if it was good enough to people bought it then people bought it but we're not going to come in after the fact and act like uh, they're really dead 
Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, the, you know, they don't show you anything like you, they give you like the clue that the guys like find like, you know, little chestnuts in the in the haystack. It's like, oh, maybe Brandon Rickon were here. But then you never see them find Brandon Rickon. And the very next thing you see is uh, if you see them again, like the very next thing that you would see of them would also be the very last thing you see of them, just like charred and hanging from the gates of Winterfell. Like, right. That's just not the way you're going to write out main characters on this show. That is one thing that I think that I don't know about as a rule all the way through, uh, but I think more often than not, at the very least, Game of Thrones does play fair with the entrances and exits of its main characters, of like the name recognition characters, the people that seem to be really important either to the overall story or to individual storylines. They'll get played out properly. Like even that, you know, random Lannister uh, cousin last week uh, got a real meal out of his death scene. So just to like kind of like push Brandon Rick on off the show with no fanfare whatsoever in terms of watching those characters have a, a real final scene. That's just not going to happen on this show. Right. Do you remember in the 2012 of it all, though, if people were faked out by this? I don't remember there being a ton of buzz about it. And I was covering the show at the time. Um yeah, no, I I have no memory of anyone being really like, oh, my God, they killed Brandon Rick on you bastards. Like, I don't think that anyone really was uh, was feeling, uh, uh, you know, really hooked in on this one. I think everyone smelled the red herring. OK. All right. Well, we pick things up in the opening of the episode with Theon. And now we have seen Yara and her forces arrive at Winterfell. And it sort of starts with Yara mocking Theon and really going after him about how stupid he is and how the how valuable Bran and Rickon were as the only two Starks in Winterfell. And then by the time she sends everybody out of the room, they actually have like kind of a sweet moment. I was uh, I, I did not remember this. Uh, you know, this is something that I've been saying on these season two podcasts, especially that because I really have tuned out a lot of the early going of Game of Thrones that we've just gone so far in the show that it's hard to remember every little detail. I didn't remember this like really tender scene between Theon and Yara. Uh, and it is it, it is really nice. She tells this story about how you were a terrible baby. You were bawling all the time. You would never sleep. Uh, first of all, this does not register as a surprise that Theon Greyjoy was a terrible baby baby right still is very very colicky that baby theon mm -hmm. uh one night you wouldn't shut up you were screaming like a dying pig and i walked over to your crib and looked down and i wanted to strangle you and you looked up at me and you stopped screaming you smiled at me and then she kind of pauses and she says don't die so far from the sea uh and it is the first real genuine moment of um you know like this like kind of like tender sweethearted moment between siblings since we've seen Theon and Yara come back into each other's lives uh it had been you know very much uh the ironborn way up until this point with Yara just like dunking on Theon any <laughs> every chance that she got uh and here she is because i think that she truly believes Theon, if you stay here, you're definitely going to die. There is no way you can hold Winterfell long term. This does not end well for you unless you come back to the Iron Islands right now. But Theon has put so much of himself into this project that he can't bear to leave it just yet. Yeah. So at the end of the episode, we come back and have a scene out in the what, what do you call that? The square of Winterfell in the yard courtyard, the courtyard, courtyard sure courtyard by winterfell 
And so <laughs> great hotel, five stars. Yeah. Maester Lewin is walking around and he sees what he believes to be Osha and he follows her down. And it turns out that her and Hodor and Bran and Rickon are now have made it back to Winterfell and are hiding in the Winterfell crypts. This was a ballsy move by uh, this crew to sneak back into Winterfell. It's I appreciate it, though. I love it. I think it's a it's a great plan just to to double back and you're hiding in the one place that they will never look to find you. And that is the place that you ran away from. Uh, great manhunt strategy. Remember manhunt? Did you ever play manhunt? Yes. From time to time. So your move was to then go back to a place that they already looked for you. Yeah. You know, you just like you're People hiding. You should have like, done that on hunted. Yeah. Yeah. Did no one do that on hunted? Like nobody just like kind of parked it. No, I don't think people double back to any place. Well, if I'm ever on, we'll get the run, emails if they did. If I'm ever on the run, you now you all know what my move is going to be. I'm just gonna wherever I started, I will go back to start very shortly thereafter, and I will just try and hide at the starting point. Uh, and that's that's the move here. And I also like how um, uh, you know now Maester Lewin is kind of in on the plot as well and uh, Osha fills him in and she's like what happened to those kids the farm boys oh god we can't tell Bran and Rickon that if they knew like they would blame themselves uh, I'll never tell them they'll never hear it from 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 me as Bran is literally hearing it from Osha yeah uh, spoiler alert he doesn't lose any sleep over it I don't think they ever mentioned it again. The rest of the series. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. The poor farmer had to die. I mean, a lot of people died for the Stark sake on this one. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, to the mildest of spoilers. I don't remember any further mention <laughs> of poor Jack and Billy and their father. I do think that uh, it's uh, chestnuts in the wind on this yeah. one. We don't meet a lot of Billies in Game of Thrones. Um, yeah, you hear you get like some Willems here and there, and yeah. like there was even a Willem earlier this season uh, when when Yorin was talking about Willem. Yeah, uh, you get the occasional Willis, sometimes mm-hmm. a, a Willa, uh, but not really a ton of Billies. Yeah, okay, light on the Billies. <laughs> in addition to Rickon and Bran being on the move in this episode, Arya Stark herself is going to be on the move. She learns that Tywin Lannister rides now for king's landing she is very eager to uh get out of harren hall she needs to let people know about what's going on and so she enlists jack and hagar to help her get out and what she does she gives him a third name and that name is jack and hagar that is another great play uh of Arya being like all right well kill yourself and jack and hagar is like um can we talk about like another deal? Like, is there anything else that we could, that we could negotiate here? And Arya's really drawing a hard bargain here, uh, where she says like, I'll unname you if you help me escape. Uh, and he says, that means like a lot of people are going to die. She's like, well, that's kind of the deal. You know, it, it is what it is. And he says, a girl lacks honor, uh, which is not something that you would think to say about a Stark, given that that is sort of their, uh, their most famous trait. Certainly if Ned Stark was super honorable, uh, the most honorable man in Westeros. And Arya here is making a dishonorable but very clever move against Jack and Hagar in order to enlist his help. Uh, so it seems like it works. You know, by the end of the episode, Arya and Hot Pie and Gendry are out of Harrenhal. Uh, and uh, Hot Pie seems to be the only one who's upset about this because he doesn't get to continue working on his sour cherry pie. 
Yeah, Jackin told her that you should go through the Hall gates at midnight. And they were like, oh, well, the guards are still there. What do we do? And they had to make a uh, leap of faith and just walk through the gates. And as they got close enough, they saw that all the guards were dead. And Arya and Gendry and Hot Pie are back on the road. It didn't feel like they were so far away that, like, they couldn't have told, like, they wouldn't have been able to tell that, like, one of the guards was like mutilated. Like they, they were, were like, a bit skewered. of scoot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they look pretty dead, but <laughs> I don't know. This is coming from somebody who has terrible vision and I certainly would have had no idea. So it was dark. I can't, it was yeah, dark. It, it was dark. Are you sad that we didn't get to see uh, hot pie, sour cherry pie that he was working on <laughs> in the pie, kitchens of Heron Hall? Bit of a whiner really here it is uh, complaining about, Oh, I can't believe we're leaving. Oh, I can't believe this. Uh, I mean, Hot Pie, we're leaving Hall where they're torturing people. Yeah. So he was in charge of like stocking the food for their trip out of Hall, And it sounds like all he got for them was cheese and sausage. The good sausages. Uh, yeah, he said the sausage is not bad. Sausage isn't bad, but the cheese could be better. The cheese could be better. So why didn't you get the better cheese? I don't know. I don't know. That's what, the only thing he could take while the people who were his bosses weren't looking. All right. Well, so just okay cheese on the road with some pretty good sausages. I don't know. I'd be very nervous to eat that cheese as the as the days went on. But I don't want to get into the spoiler territory about how that uh, that really nasty fungal cheese is going to. Yeah, is it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's a it's a to do. Big to do. The red and white picnic. It's a (laughs) really big uh, moment in Game of Thrones history. So. Josh, then we spend some time in King's Landing in this episode and we see preparations are being made because Stannis's forces are coming soon that they are preparing. We see Tyrion going through a bunch of books and Bronn is basically telling he's wasting his time going through all the books. Yeah, I mean, Bron never, uh, you know, he wasn't on the brains tribe, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is this is a guy who he's made his way forward through practical means, through lived experience. He doesn't uh, he doesn't sharpen his sword the same way that Tyrion sharpens his, so to speak. Uh, and Bron is talking about, you know, he knows a thing or two about about sieges. He's it seems like he's lived through some. Uh, he says it's not even the fighting that's going to kill everybody; it's the food. People are going to get so hungry. Hungry. They're going to run out of mediocre cheese and pretty good sausage very quickly, and they're going to start eating each other. Uh, I'd be so popular. Hot Pie would be very popular during the King's Landing siege, should it come to pass. Uh, and so Varys is the guy who's going to step in, and I think that he is going to be more of the intellectual sounding board that Tyrion is looking for. Right. And they are trying to plan out what they're going to do, and they feel like that Stannis knows King's Landing pretty well. He will attack the Mudgate. So that is what they're going to do to start to prepare for Stannis. There's some talk about that. Will Joffrey be out there fighting with his men? And uh, there is a uh, great scene of Joffrey talking about that, uh, how he is going to really be able to show off his dominance on the battlefield. Yeah, he he seems like he wants to to get out there and give his uncle Stannis a, a real smile, a red smile from ear to ear. Uh, what is he, the Joker? This is like uh, that's like the Joker move. Yeah. Oh, he's a Joker. Well, he was in Batman Begins. Yeah, uh, remember that? King Joffrey. Maybe that was the Joker origin story. We just never saw how he got those scars. Yeah. 
Cersei and Tyrion have a very memorable scene together where they are dining and talking about the arrangements. Uh, Cersei says that Joffrey is 17. Uh, do you buy that? 17. Joffrey. Joffrey 17. 17. Because isn't Jon Snow also supposed to be like 17? Are we buying that Jon Snow and Joffrey are contemporaries? Jon Snow looks like he's got to be, you know, like uh, he's pushing 21 at that point. I feel like by the time mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing them I know on the, the books show. and the TV shows are, are, are different, but anyways, in the, well, in the books, they're like they're like uh, they're like 14, 15 <laughs> kids. Like they really age them up for the show. Yeah. OK, so the conversation starts to get a little tough between Tyrion and Cersei, and they talk about the reasons why Cersei uh, might also be dangerous, as uh, dangerous as Varys. And she is saying that uh, the weakness that Tyrion has is that little worm that's between his legs. Ah, yes. Uh, Cersei says she has something in common with Varys that (laughs) might make her dangerous as well. Yes. Uh, And she proves how dangerous she is by, uh, it seems like she has found... uh, Tyrion's uh, love interest uh, that she says, I found your little whore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, you know, led to think through much of the scene, oh God, she's found Shay, and this has been Tyrion's worst nightmare for quite a while, uh, only to discover uh, this very, very, very uh, self-congratulatory and happy Cersei has not found Tyrion's actual lover, but has found Roz, uh, who uh, we, of course, know from the Winterfell brothel and from Tyrion Lannister very first scene in all of Game of Thrones, in fact. And it's not like Tyrion looks happy about it, um, but this is not the person that, like, if this had been Shay, his reaction would have been very different. He's still very solemn. I think he, you know, he cares for Roz. Like, I think that he doesn't want to see any any harm befall her, certainly as a consequence of just his existence. Um, so he tells her, I'm sorry they hurt you. You must be brave. I promise I will free you. And she says, don't forget me. And he says, never. Mm-hmm. And then, then he lays it down. Uh, then he gives Cersei the real what for. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, I just want to talk about the Roz and uh, Tyrion relationship. Now, I felt like that Tyrion really has a great poker face here in terms of uh, I-, I thought that there is a sense of relief uh, from him that that is not Shay and it is, in fact, Roz. What I don't get there is why Roz seems like so much like, oh, they caught us, Tyrion. You know, that I don't know why she isn't more like, hey, like uh, I, you know, I was with him one time back in uh, Winterfell. I mean, uh, why, why are you guys coming after me? Yeah. What's Roz's incentive to kind of play out this fiction? Um, She just thinks that Cersei is pissed that any any prostitute that was with Tyrion or she, she was wearing the Lannister necklace. That is this unforgivable sin. And also, like, did people not put together that she was the one who was with Joffrey a few episodes earlier? <laughs> Roz was was sent to Joffrey. And would Cersei think that Tyrion would send the person he was in love with to Joffrey? So the whole like this is Roz. Uh, this is Roz's NBC show coming up in a few weeks. Uh, <laughs> that she's, yes, that she's that she is the one that's being trotted out here. Uh, a little suspect, a little suspect. Right. In the questioning of her, like, okay, what are you doing with Tyrion? It's like, well, I'm not with Tyrion. I mean, I don't right. think she's a liar, but you feel like that she could have at least said, like, look, I have nothing to do with Tyrion. Yeah. I don't know anything about so- Tyrion. 
I don't know. Somebody of above average intelligence not being able to piece this one together feels uh, feels a little thin to me. But in terms of Roz playing along, Tyrion says, uh, I promise I'll free you. And she says, don't forget me. And he says, never. Does she mean like, I expect significant compensation? Oh, maybe. I want two (laughs) necklaces next time. Tyrion. Yeah, this is uh, this is you know definitely the, the the toughest job that I've signed on for yet, and I was with Joffrey a few episodes ago. Okay. Uh, so yeah, maybe that's what she's she's uh, interested in a in a the, you know the Lannister payday. But either way, uh, Tyrion is going to to have some harsh He's words for for Cersei from yes. a payday to payback, which is promised by Tyrion Lannister. Uh, a memorable quote from Tyrion to Cersei: "I will hurt you for this." day will come when you think you're safe and happy and your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth the lannisters are really great at just having like very slow paced but very thought out uh insults and threats to one another yeah i don't know if like i don't know if people are starting to put this together yet but it is something that i think is worth tracking at this point that like just about any time you're with a Lannister on the show, you're going to get like spectacular dialogue. Like even if, even if like the storyline might be wanting a little bit uh, or if there's like something that is like uh, stretching like the, the credulity of a, of a moment and like the credibility of a scene. Like there's just going to be there's just going to be something fantastically uh, spoken, you know, whether it's, you know, Jamie in, in the boat with Brienne will get there a little bit later or this scene where Cersei's on top in, in terms of uh, the, the position of power. And then Tyrion is going to come back at her with all of these scathing promises of vengeance it's always going to be a good time when you've got the lannisters in the house so uh, uh fun characters to watch for sure very very good and we see Tyrion uh run up to his quarters then and he finds shay there and uh basically that he is very happy and he says that you know he needs to really be more careful with her Yes, and he is he's very, very nervous that something very bad could happen to them after something like this. And he says, I would kill for you. Do you know that? I expect I'll have to before this is over. Uh, and he also says, you're mine and makes her promise that she is uh, his. And she says, I'm yours and you are mine and we are what we are. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, you know, she's in his quarters. I mean, I feel like that uh, that. All these spies and people around all over the place in King's Landing that nobody can get to the bottom of this mystery. Cersei's just not great at this. She's too drunk. <laughs> she's she's always drinking wine. Yeah, she's always drinking wine in just about every scene we've seen of her this season, of course. Uh, so, yeah, I think she's just not putting it together. She's just not. She just doesn't have it. She doesn't have the skill right now. OK. All right, uh, let's go and check in with what's happening on the Stark front in terms of uh, what Rob is up to in this episode. And we talked about at the end of the last episode about how Rob had to re- go off on an errand with Talissa. And we see them returning back from the crag. Josh, so many people really were uh, wanted to hear more about the crag on our podcast last week. Yeah, and I wanted to see more of the crag in this episode of Game of Thrones. You didn't even get to see the glowing piece of the rock. Yeah. The glowing piece of the casterly rock. No, you didn't get to see it, Josh. That Rob and Talissa were walking so slow to come back (laughs) from the camp. 
<laughs> it's like they're in no rush whatsoever. I mean, they are going yeah. like at a snail's pace, Rob and Talissa. Like it's like it, it's unnatural just how slow they're even walking. Well, that's probably because they gave it their all when they were on guts and they are their muscles are tired and they're just exhausted from having to, to walk home from, uh, you know, probably a great victory for the blue team. I just assume blue, you know, direwolf blue. Yeah. OK, well, uh, they head back and they are interrupted by somebody who says, uh, you know, the Kingslayer, uh, he escaped in the night. Uh oh. Yeah, and, and this is kind of amazing when when Rob comes back, and so now we see you know we had Brienne swinging the you know you know Brienne give me your sword that whole moment um, at the end of last week's episode another you know kind of cliffhanger where we didn't really know exactly what was going to happen next and certainly we see the resolution of that here where Brienne and Jamie are going to be on the road and Brienne is going to be bringing Jamie to King's Landing at least this is the plan uh, to trade with the Lannisters for Arya and Sansa's lives. Uh, and Catelyn is trying to tell Rob why this was something she had to do. And Rickard Karstark is still super mad because Jamie Lannister killed. Uh, it seems like he killed two of his kids. One, you know, he's basically blaming Jamie for the death of one of his children on the, on the battlefield. battlefield. Yeah. And is outright blaming Jamie for uh, for murdering his other son, which we did indeed see. And he's very upset by this. And even Rob, at this point, he can't abide what Catelyn has done. Uh, so he grounds his mother. Yeah. You know, he's like, Mom, you're grounded. You have to stay here in this tent and you need to be guarded all day and night. Yeah. Uh, so, so the Starks, very harsh, the Starks. Right. And I don't even know if they really explained to Rob that actually Jamie Lannister escaped and then we caught him. We put him back. And then he escaped again. So really, Jamie Lannister escaped twice while you were gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. That first time was really only possible because you put somebody in his pen. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is kind of on you, Rob. Yes. Yes. So. I don't know. But uh, it's not all bad news for Rob Stark. Yes. So uh, later on that he will be meeting with uh, Roose Bolton and uh, then he ends up getting interrupted once again with Talissa. And very quickly, they just go right to town. And I'm not yeah. talking about the crag. No, <laughs> well, maybe the crack is more like it. Uh, yes, as Talisa is telling Rob uh, the story of how she wanted to. Boy, uh, this is become... a long story, Talisa. I know. <laughs> we could have got she... the short, short version of this one. Well, she was raised to recite Valyrian poetry oh, and play the harp. You know, maybe this would have been better with some harp. Uh, and there's a certain poetry to it i guess there's just like i don't know uh but she talks about how it was the hottest day of the summer and she and her brother went swimming in the roin and he drowned and he was dead and then a man with a fish tattoo on his face named steven came and saved the boy Mm -hmm. and she was very excited about uh the fact that he was able to perform cpr and she decided from that day forth i shall be the one who performs cpr yeah I decided two a, things. This, yeah. I'm never going to live in a slave city. Right. And I would help people. And I am going to tell the long version of this story every chance I get. 
and this is like a massive like this is the turn on like this is the moment where rob is like this i can't deal with this anymore i don't want to marry the fray girl was this story about like her brother drowning? yeah what a weirdo like, the, like uh oh the, i'm so the, turned on by this story for the vast majority of the story you're led to believe that the brother is dead what a relief. it's really it's really only at the end when you find out that he is alive, and it's not like he's alive by virtue of anything that uh, that Talissa did. You know, is the the fish tattoo guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this was the how this was the thing. I do think that the line that she has uh, is really really funny, uh, where he says, "I don't want to marry the Frey girl," and she says, "I don't want you to marry her either." But you needed that bridge. I hope it's a very beautiful bridge. <laughs> Yeah. I, thought, I thought that was great. It's also <laughs> weird when they are getting into it. Like she's like hysterical laughing, like uh, something really funny is going on. I don't think I want to be in that position where there's, there's this woman that's just like laughing at me. What's going there's on just, there? I don't know. It's just it's joy. <laughs> it's very. It's, <laughs> It's very joyous. It's a joyous occasion. Nervous laughter, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so that's what's going on with Talissa. Meanwhile, we see that Jamie Lannister is now uh, being escorted by Brienne of Tarth. And we saw them really interact for the first time last episode. And uh, they continue to have a very interesting relationship, Josh. He's so mean to her. He is so mean to Brienne. He's like, oh, you're much uglier in the daylight. Uh, then he tells her, you're as boring as you are ugly. Uh, very mean. And then he's starting to speculate, like, do you think you could chop my head off? Like, do you think you could beat me in a fair fight? Mm -hmm. uh, he seems to really want to get into a fight with Brienne of Tarth. And she seems like she is like on her last thread with this guy already. So... I don't know. We'll see if uh, we'll see if Jamie Lannister gets his wish. I can't even with you right now, Kingslayer. Yeah, I know. Kingslayer, don't. <laughs> Just don't. All right. And they're going to go off in the boat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Sailing away. OK, Sailing. Josh, uh, let's check in north of the wall. And now uh, we saw John fall into the hands of the wildlings at the end of last episode. He is not alone as Corin Halfhand has also been captured by the wildlings. Look at the Starks getting everybody killed in this episode, mm -hmm. right? Like uh, Bran and Rickon are responsible for the deaths of the poor farmer and his children. Um, Arya, not something that we're really upset about, but you know she's responsible for the, for the deaths of these guards. Uh, Rob is really, you know, we should pretty much pin this on him: the escape of Jamie Lannister and therefore the death of uh, poor poor little Car Stark. Uh, and now John is going to learn. That because he was unable to behead Egret, uh, that his fellow brothers in black that were with Corrin Halfhand have been killed. Uh, so that's great. Yeah. And Corrin Halfhand is really like, I don't know, he seems to be, uh, he's putting on a show a little bit later on. Yeah. But he seems to like, be like, eh, forget that. We got business to attend. John asks, wait, so everybody died because of me? And Corrin basically says, yeah, well, make it be for something. 
Yeah, make it count. Make it yeah. count. Uh, so we don't know exactly what the make it count is yet. We don't really know exactly what he is up to. But he's gonna he's gonna talk to to John again when the two of them are on the march. And Corin is gonna tell John that it would be really really valuable for when Mance Raider, the king beyond the wall, the leader of the wildlings, when he marches on the wall, it's gonna be spectacularly valuable to have Jon Snow on the inside, to have a man of the Night's Watch on the inside. And then he makes this big public spectacle about how Jon Snow is the worst and is responsible for the deaths of all of these people. But this public display runs counter to what he is whispering to Jon. So some sort of uh, some sort of plan seems to be in the works from the half hand. Yeah, that yeah, some chicanery from the half hand. That oh, so clever corn half hand. And we also are introduced to the Lord of Bones. Lord of Bones, rattle shirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, it's a shame that I never really saw like a lot of Lord of Bones cosplay. Like uh, no. it was not like a Halloween costume that ever really took off. But uh, very elaborate suit that he is wearing there does not look comfortable, frankly. Yes, and we see Egret vouches for the lord of bones and i am putting emphasis on that because one of our listeners matthew forsyth uh, wrote in on twitter to say hey is rob mispronouncing egret's name and calls her yigret and thank you matthew for now explaining to me that the y in egret is silent silent y at the start of a name this is a tough business we're in, you know, like every every word that we say, every every word that we get wrong, every mispronunciation, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's picked apart, picked apart like a, like a like a lord of so many bones. It's tough, tough mm-hmm. gig, but somebody's got to do it. So yes. it's egret, not your grit, uh, not my grit either. It's yeah. egret. OK. All right. So, Josh, then uh, let's check in that. Uh, oh, Stannis is on the move. Stannis is on the move. Yeah, and we've been hearing a lot about this. Uh, we have been hearing that Stannis could be at King's Landing within uh, a few days. It seems like this is very, uh, this is urgent. This is imminent. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's very worried about what Stannis could do if he shows up, that King's Landing is not going to be adequately prepared to take on a uh, an invasion from the sea from Stannis Baratheon. And Stannis is feeling so confident that he's already telling Davos Seaworth, his plans for once he sits on the Iron Throne. You're going to be the hand of hand the, king. the king. Yeah. Davos Seaworth. You'll be the first crabber's son to wear the badge, I reckon. Mm-hmm. And then we get a whole reset of the Siege of Storm's End and the Onion Knight story. Josh, have we just watched too much Game of Thrones that we really just know this stuff? Or has this already been explained here in season two? I feel like they already had a conversation about this at a certain point. Yeah. Um, Weren't they on a boat together before uh, Stannis sent uh, Davos off with Melisandre to murder Renly? Did they not talk about this then? (laughs) I don't don't know. Maybe they just felt like for the audience here in season two, it's like, remember? Remember this stuff? Remember this stuff is happening? But yeah, this is uh, from the Talissa school of uh, storytelling, the siege of Storm's End. 
every man in Storm's End wanted to kiss Davos on the night that he brought onions and beef jerky, and he's relieved that they did not, which I thought was a funny line. Uh, Liam Cunningham as Davos Seaworth is uh, a really spectacular, underrated performance, I think. Uh, he's just, he's really, really great as this character. We also learned that during the, the siege in Storm's End, and man, are we learning a lot about sieges in this episode. Mm-hmm. Under, we're under siege, uh, dark territory. Uh, we hear that they uh, their their food pecking order went as follows: they ate the horses first, then they ate the cats because Stannis Baratheon was not a cat man. Doesn't like cats. He likes dogs, but they ate the dogs as well, and then they ate the rats. Did that uh, pecking order bum you out? It bummed me out. I have to say, you would have done the dog I, second. I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. I don't know how you're supposed to play it. That's what it sounds like this. you're saying. I think, I think, frankly, like, why? I, I know it's gross, but, like, no one's going to miss the rats. And I'm yeah. sure that there's a bunch of them. Just, like, set up a rat crew, right? Like, set up the rat patrol, that uh, the rat pack that goes out and, like, they just go and bash all Maybe the, the cats rats. cats were eating all the rats. Maybe that's, that's actually, uh, damn it, that's a good point. Yeah, that makes me upset. The rats aren't eating anything else in the pecking order that you would eat. Right, right. They're not exactly eating horses. A rat that could eat a horse is uh, get out of there. uh, Yeah, I think Wesley would have a thing or two to say about the size of that rat. (laughs) All right, and then let's just check back in in Carth. But uh, kind of a a real nothing burger going on uh, in Carth in this episode. Uh, Really, just like uh, spinning our wheels here with uh, just a check in with uh, Danny and Jorah. It's like Amelia Clark and Ian Glenn have it in their contract that they need to appear in a certain number of episodes of Game of Thrones in any given season. And they just had to appear for a complete nothing scene mm-hmm. here in this episode just to fill that quota. Uh, quota, not Quaith nor Karth. Uh, and it really is. Does anything happen yes. in this scene? What happens in this scene? Danny asks Jorah, I need you to take me to the house of the undying. And he says, no, I can't. And she says, yes, do it. And he says, okay. <laughs> Great. Cool. Uh, a lot has been established. So coming up in the, one of these next two episodes, Jorah will take Danny to the House of the Undying. Well, there will be the scene next week where he says, Danny, are you sure that you want to go to the House yeah. of the Undying? And she'll say, I am. Do you really need say, dragons, Khaleesi? I'll say, sure. Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. I need them. Yeah. Okay. I need the dragons. It's important. All right, so that's Karth, and that is, I believe, that's got to be the spoiler-free yeah, section. Yeah, that's it. Okay. All right. So uh, let's uh, let's spoil it up. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Oh my gosh! Well, those horn blasts just reminded me that in the spoiler-free section, we didn't mention uh, Samuel Tarley's big discovery beyond the wall. Yeah. Earlier in this episode, whatever. Whatever. That's fine. I don't we, even know what we could have said about, about that in the non-spoiler version of what, that. Sam digs a latrine cool and they yes. found some uh, arrowheads. 
I don't know what's rocks. going on with that. Yeah. I got a rock. Yeah. They found rocks and a horn. Uh, and of course, we know us who are here in the spoiler filled section. And if you are still here by accident, I will just speak a little bit longer so that you have just enough time to, to navigate away. And that is all the time I will give you. Uh, we know that the obsidian, a.k.a. Dragonglass, is going to be invaluable in the fight against the white walkers that this is a material that could actually do some damage against the white walkers mm-hmm. and destroy these these people and so it's cool to see like this ancient cache of dragon glass from someone of the night's watch but there's also this horn that's here that i don't think is ever going to come back into play on the show to my recollection um but is the object of much theorizing among the readers of a song of ice and fire the books on which game of thrones is based yeah and do you want to uh, explain what that horn will do so there there is there is a, a, a line of thinking that uh this war horn could be the Horn of Winter, which is a legendary horn that was once used by a former king beyond the wall thousands of years ago or a thousand or so years ago, a long time ago, to wake giants from the earth. Mm. Uh, And Mance Raider in the book is going to uh, suggest that he possesses the Horn of Winter and he's going to use it to bring down the wall and he doesn't want to have to do it. He would rather not have to do that. He would rather just be able to pass through the wall with the wall still standing because if we break down the wall, then there's nothing that stands between us and the White Walkers. But that horn never goes off in the book. The horn that he is carrying is actually destroyed at one point when Melisandre destroys uh, the Lord of Bones, who is being glamoured to look like Mance Raider. It's very complicated and frankly kind of ridiculous. Um, but this old war horn that samuel tarley has that he finds here there is it's like kind of just like this sort of like crappy war horn is sort of just like this you know really beat up destroyed looking thing it's nothing special but there's the thinking that it is kind of like the holy grail in uh the last crusade where it's like the innocuous looking cup is actually the holy grail it's not the bejeweled cup it is the uh the very conventional looking item and uh that sam may be in possession of of an item that could bring down the wall in the books of, uh, uh, of which game of Thrones is based on. Obviously we know through seven seasons of the show that there are no horns that are required in the destruction of the wall, except if you want to count the horns on the night King's head as he is riding (laughs) an undead Viserion into battle to destroy the wall. Josh. And is it true that the horn of winter is featured on the cover of the alleged book, the winds of winter? Ooh, is that right? I haven't seen. Is there even an alleged cover of the Winds of Winter? Does that exist? I, that would be I, I don't know exciting. if it's fan art, but if you Google Game of Thrones Winds of Winter, uh, it appears that that is the case. I'm not sure if this is uh, fan art or, or what, but I feel like I've seen that before. I think it's got to be fan art. I think it's got to be very prominent fan art. But I can't imagine, like, there isn't a publication date for this book, which is maddening. It's very frustrating um, that I can't imagine that there's already, like, uh, a graphic for a book that doesn't have a release date that, frankly, uh, tragically may never even see the light of day. Yeah. So I think that this is uh, this is fan fiction. But okay. uh, who knows? Who yeah. knows? 
All right. So uh, we'll, we'll see about that. Okay. So let's talk about what they ultimately find here, Josh, because I think that this is interesting in terms of like they're digging a latrine and then they just happen to uncover this cloak that has the dragon glass weapons. Now they are at the fist of the first men and they talk about how somebody wanted us to find this based on where it was located, but it's all covered in snow. There was no markings that are we to believe that this was coincidence or is there some sort of game of Thrones magic in play that led to uh, Sam and Gren finding this stuff? Time travel. Time, time travel. travel. What, what if Bran traveling through time somehow got the stash of dragon glass to this exact point so Samuel Tarly could grab it in his moment of need? Because if he doesn't get it, then he's going to get killed by the White Walker when he goes and uh, is running away with Gilly from Craster's Keep in season three because he has no dragon glass. So he needs the dragon glass. And Bran Stark knows how important Samuel Tarly is. So he is establishing. I, not, there's no way no okay it's uh, just a coincidence yeah i think you know it's a coincidence i think you know they're in the north and uh you know people from uh the night's watch from long long ago had stashes of this stuff hidden around in case they needed it and this so there was might one. be cloaks of dragon glass hidden everywhere at the fist of the first men yeah maybe who knows that could be exciting. Whoa, that could be very exciting, right? Because what if the Fist of the First Men becomes like another place we need to go to at some point in Game of Thrones, this like legendary historic place where the First Men congregated, and it's like, could these be the last men here at the at the Fist of the First Men as the White Walkers are closing in on this crew of people who are like our last stand between humanity and the undead, and it seems like they're all out of options. They've got nothing they've got no weapons they've got nada and then suddenly they kick a rock and realize oh there's dragon glass under the rock and now we've got a chance hmm yeah but that being said um it seems like there's already like a foot of snow at the fist of the first men i mean there's got to be like what five feet of snow there by then but they got some strong people on on their squad. And Sandor Clegane, do not forget, was uh, he was prolific with the shovel for a brief period of time. So if he's part of the crew, uh, they should be able to they should be able to plow some snow. No problem. Snow problem. <laughs> OK, so then we will see that uh, dragon glass come into play. That is going to be what Sam stabs the uh, White Walker with and what the rest of that stuff is just going to continue to be in Sam's possession through season seven. Yeah, I don't remember if there is anything special that happens with the rest of the dragon glass. I don't think that there is. Uh, and now, you know, they're just mining Dragonstone for all of their dragon glass. So, uh, you know, take it or leave it, the stuff that they're finding here. I think it's really it's really important for that one use through seven seasons. So this was a big moment in the episode when Rob learned that Kat freed Jamie Lannister. Of course, Jamie Lannister is going to make it all the way back to King's Landing eventually, but is going to uh, have uh, a number of misadventures along the way with uh, Brienne. Uh, we end up seeing Rob's reaction to that in this episode. 
Yeah, a couple of things there. First of all, it, 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 I mean, he is so mean to Brienne, but it's it's great, like, just how far Jamie and Brienne have come since then and how, like, you know, their story is kind of like, is it sort of like the star-crossed love story? Like, what is it? You know, star-crossed love story. What's going on between Brienne and Jamie? I know that that's a you know a pairing that a lot of people, especially of the of the Tumblr variety, really really like this. Uh, they ship them, ship them, shipping Brienne and Jamie. Uh, so to see their interactions now compared to where they're going, uh, and I think that that fight between them, I think that that's going to come in the season two finale, if I'm remembering that right. But I may be misremembering it completely. Um, the other thing, so the the reaction that Rob has when he finds out about Catelyn Stark and the fact that Car Stark is here uh, for this scene as well, and in this moment he is siding with Car Stark. But we know that ultimately Rob is going to behead uh, Lord Car Stark here because he's going to he's going to kill uh, a Lannister. He uh, he wants to kill any Lannisters he can get his hands on. He's finally going to get his hands on a Lannister that will eventually become. Tom and Baratheon mm-hmm. through the magic of uh, recasting, uh, but at the time I believe he will or be reincarnation. Reincarnation is not impossible, uh, and Rob is going to kill Karstark for that. And Karstark is going to be really, really angry and bitter about that. And I have to say, like. I kind of understand, like to a degree, uh, the Car Stark rage. Like this guy is just, uh, you know, the the treatment uh, that Rob is. Uh, it's just like it's just not all. It's just not all playing fair. Uh, and Car Stark's grievances here, I, I can kind of feel him. I, I can kind of understand. You got it. Coming. A little bit, just a little bit, where it's like Catelyn, like even like outright admits, like. Yeah, I just totally did this for like personal selfish reasons. Like I can give them the Kingslayer and maybe get my kids back. Uh, you killing the Kingslayer isn't going to bring your kids back, but me delivering the Kingslayer might bring my kids back. So, and Carson's like, "What the? Look, are you? St- uh, it's so frustrating." So I get it. Like I get the frustration. I still think he plays this very poorly, ultimately. But uh, just like the the groundwork is being laid for that. Yeah. Can we go back to King's Landing and talk about the uh, Tyrion and Varys conversation that the second conversation that they have in the episode towards uh, the end where they're talking about, you know, figuring out what the plan is going to be. And they have some fun dialogue back and forth where Tyrion is asking Varys what he wants. And Varys is like, well, you go first. And Varys ends up telling Tyrion uh, some uh, secrets about what's going on and how he heard from a little bird that Daenerys Targaryen is still roaming the earth and she has three baby dragons now. Yeah, not to even uh, mention what is uh, revealed about the Summer Isles. Uh, sounds like an interesting place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so she's he, he's gonna Varys is gonna tell Tyrion about about Daenerys, and Tyrion will say, "A girl at the edge of the world is the least of our problems." Uh, and Varys will say, "Even though she has three dragons, it's gonna be years until they're fully grown, and then there will be nowhere to hide." One game at a time, my friend. Tyrion responds, and of course, uh, this is you know one of the early. Uh, but first of many, 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 many conversations between Varys and Tyrion, where they're really just like positioned on the edge of some city with like a really scenic view uh, mm-hmm. behind them, talking about either Targaryens or something massively important to the to the overall politics of Westeros. But knowing where these two characters are through seven seasons of the show, where they are two of Daenerys's closest confidants, uh, that's another great, great signpost 
goalpost of just how important their relationship to that character is going to be and how early that flag gets planted here on the show. Good scene. Really good scene. But Varys is impressed with Tyrion. He says that he really has the skill for being the hand of the king uh, way more than Jon Arryn or Ned Stark. They didn't love the game. Tyrion likes the game. He does, and Tyrion's surprised about it. He says, that was the last thing I expected, and I'd like to keep playing it. Uh, but if Stannis breached the gates, the game is over. Of course, we know Stannis will be, uh, he will fail uh, in his attempt to uh, to win the Battle of the Blackwater, coming just one episode from now, which we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, I think that this is a fun scene because... Like we've said, we talked about this, um, you know, in the scenes with Varys and Ned Stark in season one about how Varys is kind of being honest to Ned Stark about where his loyalties lie, what his intentions are, that he's actually like his heart is in the right place. He really wants to serve the people. Um, But there the relationship between Tyrion and Varys has been a lot more contentious and cautious because I think Varys never like feared Ned Stark's capabilities the way that like he recognizes an, a potential adversary in Tyrion should it ever go poorly like should they ever not be aligned this is a really smart person that I would have to be worried about and so there's that moment where they where Tyrion is the one who says oh man wouldn't it be great if we could just converse as two honest and intelligent men uh, and then he says so what do you want tell me what you want and Varys is like if we're gonna play that game you have to start and like they start getting into it a little bit about like where they're coming from and what they've heard and what they like and I think that this is to me the moment where the Tyrion and Varys friendship actually begins mm-hmm. yeah and another interesting thing that comes out of this scene is that you know Varys is complimenting Tyrion on what he's good at and he talks about how you know uh, James was this you know a uh, very talented swordsman at a very young age and Cersei you know was a uh, young queen and Tyrion got put in charge of building the sewer system at Casterly Rock and that is going to come back up in season seven when uh, Tyrion is going to hatch this plan to take the Unsullied into Casterly Rock via that same sewer system that he built. So anticlimactic. Yeah, it was anticlimactic, <laughs> but I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they did set that up way back when that Tyrion uh, knew about the sewer system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, that's great. And, like, there's been a lot of, like, thinking of, like, oh, we got to get to Casterly, Casterly Rock at some point later on in the show. Uh, and, of course, it's going to be because Tyrion knows the sewer system so well. And, of course, that does indeed come to pass. But ultimately doesn't matter at all because Grey Worm and the Unsullied show up and like there's nobody there basically like they (laughs) kill a few Lannisters and then all the Lannisters have like booked it to Highgarden uh so that's a little bit of a letdown but yeah it's it's set up here so that's nice yeah uh let's go and check in with uh, Arya and Jack and Hagar at Harrenhal and uh, Arya makes her third wish to Jack and Hagar about uh, who she wants to see knocked off. And, of course, uh, she says Jack and Hagar. And Jack and Hagar ends up uh, swearing his honor to Arya Stark. And he ends up uh, swearing on the old gods and the new. Josh, I thought that was odd for Jacken, who we know is uh, somebody who does uh, not subscribe to the old gods or the new to be using that as a swear. 
to me, it kind of just like felt like lip service. Like to mm-hmm. me, it kind of just felt like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, give me, give me whatever you want me to swear on, and I'll swear on it. Like I'm, I'm good with it. Like I, I think that to to Jack and Hagar, I think even in the way that the faceless men speak, uh, you know, it, kind of in riddles. Like a girl gives a man his own name, and uh, if I do this thing, a girl must obey. A girl will obey. Like just sort of like this circular talk. Like I think that. I don't know. The truth is a nebulous thing with uh, with the faceless men of Bravo. Certainly uh, hard to know when you are looking at somebody's true identity or even if this is somebody's true name. To me, it's not out of the realm of possibility that some of this is like, uh, you know, feigned concern from Jack and Hagar. Like if he doesn't even really have a name, if he's not even really Jack and Hagar and that's just an alias, basically, uh, that like if he is kind of like testing Arya, if he's like feeling out her possibilities as somebody who could potentially be a pupil of his someday and could could learn this art herself uh it wouldn't be out of the out of the realm of possibility to me that here it's like it's almost that he's like astonished with how clever she's being Mm -hmm. to go back to that scene then with theon and yara that did that get you at all more engaged in yara being uh, captured and theon being responsible for bringing her back well, I I do I do like this. Uh, I I mean I think I was already in the tank for like Theon being like okay I have to go and I have to find Yara and like finding some kind of redemption in saving his sister after he had put her through so much hardship had uh, you know had botched her own rescue attempt which we'll see next season uh, for him and uh, you know didn't put up a fight against Euron and just jumped ship and let her get captured uh, to hear this story about the time that Theon uh, was 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 enamored with Yara when he was a baby and that Yara had sort of similar feelings for him, you know, like really loved her brother, uh, at least when, when they were kids or at least had this tender moment. I thought that that was nice. I'm really, I am as much as I do like Theon Greyjoy's character arc. Uh, and as much as I think Alfie Allen has played the character really wonderfully, uh, with a lot of nuance and a, a really layered performance because the character goes on such a journey from being such a vile piece of crap, uh, to being, you know, somebody who who is put through the ringer and is trying to find some sort of semblance of humanity after all of that. Um, I, I, I'm a fan of all of that, but I am a little nervous, I guess, about just how much of these final six episodes of Game of Thrones are we going to devote to Theon trying to rescue Yara? I hope not a lot. I hope it's pretty light. I really, really do, because I think that's just going to be... I don't know. It's just going to be it's going to be a lot if we're if we're really spending a lot of time. There's so much business to attend to that I think Theon's rescue mission for Yara shouldn't be more than like an arc in an episode. Okay, who do you think kills Euron Greyjoy? Um Good question. I'd like for it to be Yara. I think that that would be better. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be. I think it'd be cool to see like a real great fight scene between Yara and and uh, Euron, unless it's like Phantom Menace-ish. Uh, <laughs> like two on one, like the duel yeah, of the fates. Yeah, yeah, duel of the fates would be would be great. Oh God, love love Duel of the Fates. Uh, even still, come at me. Uh, I don't know. You're on Greyjoy with like the double-edged lightsaber. Uh, even though the, the <laughs> Night King is really more Darth. <laughs> this is Mollish. some fan fiction now. Yeah, uh, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. Uh, so then, who becomes the Qui Gon Jinn? Uh, <laughs> is it Yara or Theon who gets Qui Gon Jinn? 
I don't know. I don't know. That, uh, that person uh, will go on to discover how to come back from the dead and be a force ghost. Uh, so I guess that probably has to be Theon as the, the force ghost of Winterfell. Mm-hmm. I guess so. That could be one of the Game of Thrones sequels that comes out. Prequels. So it's a time traveling ghost. Yeah. So. Wow. Hang out with Fran. It's all happening. It's all happening, Josh. Okay, so there we go. That is the Prince of Winterfell. Also, another weak name here in uh, season two, Prince of Winterfell. Season two, really, really uh, slacking in the naming department of these episodes. Yeah, uh, really not really, great. Really, really just okay. Really just okay. <laughs> season two, really. I mean, like any episode of Game of Thrones is a good episode of Game of Thrones and all of that, but uh, p- pushing it here in season two. Season two, really, the sophomore slump, I think, is a real thing in, in season two of Game of Thrones, except for the fact that we are about to sail into Blackwater next week, which is going to be all King's Landing all the time. It's going to be an episode that is completely devoted to uh, to, to, to the Tyrion story in King's Landing and the siege of King's Landing from Stannis Baratheon and the warfare, and it's going to be massively expensive, and it's going to be considered by many for a good little while, and even to this date, it's going to be considered one of the best episodes of the show, uh, but I think through Blackwater. I think many people would have said that Blackwater was the best episode of Game of Thrones. So curious to see where we will land on that matter. Um, I also think it's going to be, you know, even though it's like such a great and exciting episode, potentially a short podcast. <laughs> it's really just one storyline to talk mm-hmm. about. So we'll see. I'm sure we'll have a lot to chew on next week with Blackwater. So uh, very excited about that. Of course, you could follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He is at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Cisternino. Uh Josh, anything else going on? Uh, no, well, what I, what I would say is because I, I do expect that it could potentially be a pretty light podcast next week. This would be a great uh, great opportunity to send any feedback for season two that you guys have so far, or just what you're thinking along the way uh, here as we're marching on the road towards season eight in the far, far future. Uh, so if you've got anything, send it our way. GOT at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. Postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form. And of course, you can tweet at us as well. All right. So thanks so much for checking out this episode. We'll be back next week with Blackwater. Of course, uh, be on the lookout also for our Star Trek Discovery recap. Josh, boy, uh, the Star Trek Discovery uh, really heating up. People have no chill with the Star Trek Discovery spoilers. Oh, the, well, I do. Internet. I have a lot. I, but I will say that, you know, I, I, for a lot of Star Trek Discovery, I would say that, you know, I was like, huh, yes, yeah, it's pretty good. It's not bad. It's good. It's good. I, I, I like it. But this this, uh, you know, second half of the season, I, I think it's a much better than the first half of the season. I really love the story. I want to get into more. it. Yeah, yeah I want to I want to get into it. It's a shame that I know like the thing. You yeah, know? It's a great the arc. Water. It's a great yeah. arc in uh, the back half of season two. Season okay. one. Well. Season one. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to, to finding the time to, to get into it. Right now, I am uh, I am in work mode for The Hollywood Reporter, working on a secret project. Ooh. And then beyond the secret project, I am, uh, I'm gearing up for coverage of the new Netflix show, Altered Carbon, uh, is, uh, is coming out. Have you heard of Altered Carbon? Uh, see, I have seen a little bit here and there about the Altered Carbon. It's like kind of Blade Runner meets Westworld. It's Netflix's big new show. It's massively expensive, and it shows. Uh, and it seems like uh, it's Netflix's p- 
play for like a Game of Thrones of its own, like or even a Westworld of its own, just like it's sort of like big tentpole franchise. Uh, I'll be curious to hear what people think about it once you get your hands on Altered Carbon uh, coming out February 2nd. I'll have a bunch of coverage over on THR and we'll see what we can do about a podcast here or there. Okay. All right. Uh, looking forward to that. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.